This is your Kick-Ass Life podcast, episode number 120 with guest Tanya Geisler. All links and resources you hear on this podcast can be found by going to yourkickasslife.com forward slash 120. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host. The girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hello, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, I'm bringing you an oldie but a goodie as I am head down uber focused on writing my second book. I am giving you a re-airing of a podcast from many moons ago, actually, an episode with my dear friend and colleague, Tanya Geisler. She's talking with us about the imposter complex, which is a syndrome that many of us have, especially women, and that we sometimes may not even know that we have it. So if you're not sure what that is, just listen to the first few minutes of the episode and you'll be sure to say to yourself, oh, wait, that's me too. But before I tell you about Tanya and jump into this week's episode, I wanted to remind you that if you haven't already downloaded my free ebook and accompanying audio that's called Three Ways the Shit Talking in Your Head is Making You Crazy and How to Change It, you can do so by texting the word KICKASS to 444-999. That's all one word, KICKASS to 444-999. It's super easy and you'll get that delivered to you and get some concrete, practical tools to help you manage that pesky inner critic of yours that we're often talking about over here on the podcast. Alrighty, so now let me tell you a little bit about Tanya. Tanya Geisler is a leadership coach with a penchant for clarity and an abhorrence to the imposter complex. She's coached hundreds of people who are ready to step into their starring roles of their lives. She's a blogger for the wildly popular The Daily Love, has served as contributor and was featured in Canadian Living, and is an in-demand TEDx speaker who talks with great passion about the imposter complex, personal leadership on all things joy, meaning, and purpose. It is her greatest belief that if everyone knew their own unique recipe for their personal brand of joy, they'd hold the key to shining in their life, in their work, and in their life's work. So without further ado, here is Tanya. Welcome, everyone. I am thrilled today to be joined by Tanya Geisler. We had to like stop talking <laughs> to start the recording. I'm like, we need to be recording this because we're talking about such juicy things. That's what happens when you talk to a life coach, I guess. And Tanya is, uh, you know, and I, I read your bio, everybody knows who you are and that you're all about stepping into your starring role, which I love. But I first want to talk to you about the imposter complex. And I couldn't wait to get you on the phone with my people because I'm sure that there's a lot of people listening who struggle with this. So first, can you explain to us in your words, what is the imposter complex? Can you tell us your story in your struggles with this? Okay, so hello and thank you so much for having me. So here's what the imposter complex looks like. You get invited on a podcast like this and then you're introduced by your friend and then she says something like, everyone knows who you are and then the voice goes, who me? 
<laughs> that is the imposter complex living and breathing. It's that nagging little voice that tells you you're not worthy. You're not experienced enough. You're not skilled enough. And it is always keeping us on the verge of greatness. And I'm kind of done with it. And it's a liar. It's a really bad, stinking liar. And I'm really fed up, really fed up with it. <laughs> Yeah, I have dealt with that too. It just that whole like person. Okay, so I have an example. So Jacqueline Carley is a is my trainer. She's my personal trainer. And the very first time that we got on the phone together to have our meeting, we were gonna Skype and she was like, Yeah, let's talk business first. You know, we were gonna we were gonna talk about our businesses. And I'm like, Yeah, sure, let's do that. So she just wanted to ask me some questions, a little consult type thing. And she was like, well, Chris is going to be on Skype with me. Is that okay? Her boyfriend is Chris Brogan. Mm-hmm. Do you know who he is? Me? Yes. Oh, God. Okay. And I love Jack. Jack is amazing. We're, we're friends. <laughs> yeah. So I text my dear friend, Kate Courageous. And I was like, so <laughs> Chris Brogan wants to talk to me about my business. Like real, this is Chris Brogan, who's got like 500,000 Twitter followers, who's like an international speaker, like three books, bestsellers. And then Kate's response was, well, of course, Chris Brogan wants to talk to you about your business. Like, <laughs> but I immediately went to, I'm like a tiny, tiny fish and he's this big fish and they're this power couple. And why would you even want to talk to me? So yes, that is the imposter complex in action. And guess what else? I would be willing to bet anything, anything, anything that Chris Brogan also experiences the imposter complex. And this is part of the insidious nature. We all have had times because by definition, okay, so I should also, I always, I don't feel like they probably get enough props for this. The term is actually the imposter complex, the imposter syndrome, imposter phenomenon. It was coined by two clinical psychologists back in 78 and they were interviewing women and they were noticing that they were incapable of internalizing any of their achievements. And we know that men absolutely experience it too. Women have it in a different, which is different ways of going about it. And I go into that in some detail in my TEDx talk on the topic, but it's really anytime you hear yourself attributing your success to luck or chance or anything beyond your talent, skill or efforts, right? So it's, mm-hmm. or it's also, it's a matter of time before they find out that you're not quite as magnificent as maybe they had made up because they made a mistake, right? I've heard so that before, yeah. Like when yeah. is everybody going to find out? I have no idea what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or they just invited me because they dot, 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 dot. It has nothing to do with our abilities. Nothing to do with the fact that you're an incredibly interesting woman who's creating this massive empire and who wouldn't want to get into and under that. That's why we're like 20 minutes late on this call. Cause I want to get into and under it. <laughs> So like almost by definition, if you are high, this is the good news about the imposter complex. If you are high functioning, high achieving, and you have any values of integrity and excellence and mastery, there is an excellent, exquisite chance that you have experienced the imposter complex in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think that is everyone that's listening to this podcast right now. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> those so are my I, people. Those are your people. And so I actually want to, if we can, I've really drilled it. I have been making such a study of this because of, you know, it's really meta for me, right? That's like, who am I to write about the imposter complex? Who am I to speak about the imposter complex? <laughs> oh, right. There it is. Like, so it's like super fresh for me. I've identified a bunch of different specific lies that it likes to tell us. You want to hear them? Yes, please. Yeah. So lie number one, your self-doubt is proof of your inadequacy. 
So it also sounds like, how can you lead or serve others when you are full of self-doubt, right? Mm-hmm. So that's like, yeah. oh. You need to have it all together. You need mm-hmm. to be mastered. Mm-hmm. But reality is self-doubt is proof of your humanity, not your inadequacy. Huh. Line number two, successful people don't experience this. It's exactly what you sort of showed up. I love this sort of, there's this, you know, there's tons, you know, Tina Fey, Chris Martin, Stephen King, Sheryl Sandberg. We can lose it when we find out that these people that we look up to, that we revere, have had this. I also remember Oprah saying once that doesn't matter who the guests are and however many years that she had done her show, it didn't matter who they were, they would come up to her and say, how did I do? Like Sidney Poitier is worried about how he did on Oprah's show, right? Like <laughs> madness. So you are an excellent company. It's actually so many, like we might not have time to go, but like also this competent extremities piece, you are all or nothing. Mm-hmm. You are mm-hmm. either a wild success or a dismal failure. Dichotomous thinking. That's big and high achievers. Totally. Totally. And of course, at both extremities are total lies. And they're traps, right? So like, uh, of course, we are everything in between. And then the fourth lie, and again, you know, I need to get into all of them, but you have nothing useful to say or original or important. Mm-hmm. I've heard that one in my head. Yeah. <laughs> have you also heard that if you do experience it, that you really shouldn't tell anybody about it because then they're really going to find out that you're a fake? Yeah, in the beginning, yeah, in the beginning, I have found that my own, like telling my own struggles, you know, after the fact, after I've been through them, that's learning about vulnerability right there. And I'm assuming that vulnerability kills the imposter complex. Can you say more about that? I started my blog back in 2007, and this is back when I thought nobody was reading it. So I was just pouring my heart out to the internets and writing about my eating Mm -hmm. disorder, writing about failed marriage writing about, you know, struggles with perfectionism. And then people started reading it and I, and immediately thought, Mm. Oh, I can't tell people that I, you know, I'm an, I'm a life coach. Like I have to act and portray myself a certain way and have this, you know, sort of image that I, I need to portray. And, you know, of course that was all my inner critic. And then, but once I kept going, well, what I found too, is that people loved it and people felt like, Oh my gosh, I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. Thank you for telling me that, that this is something that you also deal with because I admire you and I admire your courage to come out and talk more about it because it's a conversation that needs to happen. I have found strength through your stories. So the more I got those messages, I wrote more and more and more and putting your stories out to the internet for hundreds, thousands of people to read is practicing vulnerability <laughs> to the extreme. Totally. Mm-hmm. That's what Brene Brown calls speaking shame, right? When we're able to sort of speak of it, it, you can feel the ripple effect of the empathy. You can feel the relief spread across the room when you name something that has been so deeply hidden or shrouded or veiled. Yeah, right. totally. And then, of course, then there's also you must tell everyone about it, right? That's line number six. It's this like, I don't belong here. I'm going to just name it as such. I don't belong here. I'm not supposed to be here. And we have this like thing that people are just waiting for us to out ourselves. But the reality is, is that more often than not, people are so busy thinking that they don't belong there. that They're not really overly concerned about whether you belong there or not. And you're not alone. And we all belong here. Yeah, we all belong here. 
I love that. Great segue, the last one that you just mentioned, because I spent some time on your blog last night, reading and reading and reading, and you talk a lot in your blog posts and your programs, you know, the steps that you have in, in getting over this imposter complex. And one of them that I'd love for you to talk more about is reaching out and asking for help from your friends and your tribe versus isolating. So can you speak more specifically about that and why it's so important? Yeah, sure. So once we get over the fact that, you know, that we are in this alone, that people don't want us to help, that that is like, once we get to that point that we see the illusion that we are alone, worlds unfold. And so in the Step Into Starring World process, which I've started to think of as more of a technology than a set of tools, <laughs> somebody reflected that back to me. It's like kind of a technology to be mastered. And so that's the fourth step. And the current group that's working with it right now just finished that step. And it's, I want to sort of put this qualifier on it, but it can be a really challenging step to recognize that, first of all, you are well surrounded. And this other truth, and I feel like I've shared this with you before, is that your people really want you to succeed. Mm-hmm. And we have this belief that we don't want to impose, we don't want to overextend, we don't want to overask. We have this sort of a scarcity mindset around how many asks we have. We don't know what to ask. We just feel a little lost. And God, who wants to see that sort of like that complete mess? Mm-hmm. So we have to have it really buttoned down and really polished. So I call this assembling the cast. We use pretty theatrical language at Step and New Star World program. <laughs> this is really about filling the gaps that you have identified in the previous steps because you do have to meet the critics. That's one of the parts to understand what the objections are, which is, you know, you would speak to in, in the gremlin language. So what are all the reasons that you're not supposed to have it exactly as you want to have it? Once you've sort of nailed that down, then you can understand what the realistic objections are. And then what's the work of the critic that just really needs some deft handling and we all have our ways of handling the critics. And I know you've got a whole book dedicated to that, but what are the realistic objections? And when we really root into that, those are likely the places that we need support. So it's identifying the the kinds of people that you want to have on your proverbial bus and really asking them for that support and what I've been doing also. So there's obviously some work that needs to be created around how to make the proper ask, who to ask, what to ask. The light goes on when we know that we are well surrounded by people who really do want to see us succeed and the tenderness around the fact that there might be people in your life that are far too close to you that maybe don't. Mm -hmm. And so what it looks like to maybe start to release those people, you know, and just know that there was a time and a place that this relationship served in a really beautiful way. And that time may be past. Yeah. Boundaries. Aren't they fun? You know what I always have found interesting as far as asking your friends for what you need is remember when we were in coach training and they call creating the relationship between the coach and the client designing the alliance. Mm -hmm. Tanya and I went to the same coaching school. That's the coaches training Institute. And I always remember thinking like, wouldn't it be awesome if all relationships were that way from the Mm -hmm. beginning or anytime during the friendship, you know, you redesign your alliance. So I often actually give that as an assignment to my client because I have found, and I don't know if you're the same way, Tanya, but I have found as I've gotten into my thirties and you know, and I'm, I'm approaching 40 now and we're not in high school and college anymore where there's just a plethora of females around for us to have these connections with. We have to actually go out and be proactive and work 
at these friendships. And I have found that very few women actually sit down and have a conversation mm. as to like, what do you need in this friendship? Mm -hmm. What can I provide for you? Where am I falling short where I can fix that? Mm -hmm. What do you need from me? And mm. it's so amazing because Amy Smith is my best friend and we have these conversations and it's so easy. Like, <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's not easy to hear that something you may have been doing like is bothering that other person. But I think that we've both kind of gotten used to it. We're like, oh, I had no idea I was doing that to irritate you. I'm sorry. I will stop doing it. Like, it's just that easy. <laughs> right. Right. Instead of like holding on to it or not feeling like you can go to that person or, or whatever. So I've given that assignment at least two times to two different clients and they've had great results. You know, like I never knew that I just had to have a conversation with her about it. And she was very open to it. This whole fantastic structure that CTI offers, I've just drilled it down to two sort of, two sort of statements. And one is, and, and I think part of it is we don't know how to model it for other people in our life. So for me, it looks like the conversation starts with, you can count on me for, you know, mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z. And I want to be able to count on you for X, Y, and Z, you know, and, and then that's where the conversation starts. Because if you sort of say, what do you need from me? There is also this kind of like, oh my God, I'm in lights. Yeah. Hitting the candy store deer in the headlights. I wouldn't even begin to know where to ask, where to start with what I want. So having a little bit of, you know, modeling of like, I really want you to be able to count on me for this. And what am I missing? You know, God, as, as women, like in particular, this is such an uh, unbelievable opportunity to be able to, when I'm saying I want to be able to count on you for blah, blah, blah. I'm actually also recognizing and acknowledging how magnificent you are in that realm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. What a gift that is. What an absolute gift. It sends that person to a place of oh my God, I'm being seen in this way. That's wonderful. That might also trigger the imposter complex, mind you. But, you know, <laughs> we also know that there's like a discussion that gets to happen now. It's a beautiful assignment that you give your clients. Absolutely. We don't put enough effort, I think, into creating the kind of relationships that we want with our friendships. I think it's important one to have. So one of my favorite so, posts... Oh, oh I have to tell you though, I'm going to totally interrupt you. I'm going to do this really crappy thing by interrupting you 100% by saying, I have this program called Board of Your Life. It uh -huh. has been the bane of my... It's you know the story. It actually brought me to coaching. I love this with a fire of a thousand suns. And it is such a challenge for people because it involves this really big ask. And it was Marianne Elliott, Zen Peacekeeper, sorry, who helped me to see that what this program really is, is this very tribal medicine culture kind of construct where it's like where medicine cultures used to function in a way, you know, somebody lost their medicine, the whole tribe was screwed. So it behooved everybody to help that person come back to their medicine. You know, so that's the structure of board of your life. And it's this reflection of like how this person is showing up in the world. People understand the importance of that. They get how transformative that could be and are stopped by the ask because it's just too scary to make that ask. It's actually less about they're afraid of what they're going to hear about themselves, which is always way more magnificent than they could ever even conceive of. But it's really about, you know, it's such a huge ask. So the reason I'm sharing this is that I'm actually about to do a really scaled down version for my 10 year old daughter, mm -hmm. like a mini, like a wee, 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 mini board of your life program. It's actually called the friendship advisory board fab for girls. <laughs> so I'm doing, yeah. So I'm doing it for my girl and like five of her friends because I noticed she's really tender. She's really sensitive. But when it was her birthday a couple of weeks ago, she was able to really open up to how she was being seen in the world. So I'm starting to see that my work in the world in the imposter complex, this is a, 
treatment of something that started so very long ago, maybe started to form at the ages of 10 and 12. So I have no intention of working with kids in the long term, but I want to create this program for parents to be able to use with their daughters to see if we can prevent the imposter complex, to see if we can engender these kinds of conversations where I'm recognizing you, I am acknowledging you for this incredible person that I see in front of me. If we can start those conversations really young, mm-hmm. what's going to happen, right? Just kind of blows my mind. I think world's so change. That. I never had anything like that as a child. So I love that. I can't wait to see how that goes. I can't believe she's already 10. My gosh, I've known you for a long time. Okay, so one of my favorite posts that I was reading last night, it's titled, The Only Difference Between You and the Woman You Admire, dot, dot, dot. And you talk about in this post that... The only difference is that that woman decided she was ready. She decided she was ready to step into her starring role. She decided she was ready to step into herself. So I love it. I agree with it 100%. Can we talk about the notion that this is just a decision? (laughs) Because so many people say, is it really that easy? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Which I think it is too. Yes. And it's what you named at the top of the call. It's about worthiness and it's about readiness. Okay. So here's what I believe. And this actually kind of moves me to tears when I really think about this. Yeah. Latent in our being and the very core of who we are, are the solutions to every last crappy bit that we are facing as a society. Greed, corruption, and we know what needs to be done. We know how to heal it. We know how to fix it. We know how to change it. But it's back to this Marion Wilmson quote, but you know, who am I, right? Who am I to be this light? Who am I to make this change? Who am I? Oh my God. I actually feel like really welled up just thinking about the truth that it is all right here, but there is this big, fat, huge, audacious, soup of lies that has completely enshrouded our abilities to see the truth, which is that we have it. We have it right here, right now. Oh my God. Like totally reclumped. Just (laughs) honestly, honestly. So who are you not to is really the question. And the readiness piece, the decision, it comes with a lot of risk. There's no doubt. There's no doubt that there is risk. There's no doubt that, you know, when you step into that spotlight, there will be people who project onto you. There will be people who don't like what you have to say. So it's the decision. Are we ready? Are we willing to step into our magnificence and manage the fallout that's probably going to, that may ensue? Are we ready to face the fears that have kept us back? Are we ready to manage the disconnection that we imagine is going to happen. You know, are we ready to manage the fallout, which is so much bigger than we have already made up, which is why this is this technology. It's like, really like, what are all the ways that you can't have it? What are all the reasons that you have been holding yourself back? Mm -hmm. Wow. Slow clap over here. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, it reminds me too, when you were saying all that of, in Brene Brown's TED Talk that she did in 2010, I think it's around minute eight, and this is the very first time I saw it, I just fell apart in tears. You know, she had done all this research and she had this weekend where she was pulling all the data and the research that she had done over the years because she wanted to know what the difference of these group of people that lived life with their whole heart and were vulnerable and those that did not. You know, she wanted this concrete answer, like what was the main difference? And really she said what the difference was is that the people who did love and live with their whole heart, they just decided 
decided they were worthy of it. They just decided. I remember like my own face when I saw her face saying that, like even she was surprised by her own answer. And I love science. So I was like, really? And I, when I saw that in 2010, like I was well on my way already and thinking like, okay, that's true. And I have decided this and there's no other magic pill or anything that I have to do. It just is a decision. And I love that you said that it's risky because it is so Mm -hmm. risky and it's so scary. Mm -hmm. And to me, like, I don't know about you, but I had to get to a place where I drew the line in the sand because I was more afraid of staying the same than I was of risking making the decision to totally step into my starring role, like you say. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and this is how we know that it matters, right? Like, think about your former life. You would go to your work, it'd be fine. You get the paycheck. It was really easy. You satisfied clients. I've actually kind of forgotten what you did in a former life, but mine, there was nothing wrong with that. There was nothing wrong with that. It was an honest life. It was a good life. It was not my calling. It was not scratching the itch of my soul. And, you know, for me, the moment, I shared this before, that when my mom passed away, my daughter was born that same year and it was like what happens in this short life and what am I being called to do and there's a way in which I know you know I want to just say this like I am absolutely fully embodying my understanding of my potential as it is right now and I want more mm-hmm You know, (laughs) I want more and I'm going to continue to work towards that. And that means that I'm going to have to continue to face the new critics that show up. I have to make new decisions. I have to face the new critics. I mean, I have to bolster my authority thesis. I need to assemble the cast again and I need to do the work and I need to celebrate because you absolutely have to celebrate what you've done, which as you know, and as people listening know, celebrating is probably the trickiest thing, right? Again, with Brene Brown, she says the joy is one of the hardest emotions to mm-hmm. be with. And we remember this from coach training, the process coaching, like it's really easy to go into like the really, it's actually not, it's not that easy, but we can take people to the deep, dark places that need to be healed. And we also need to take them into the profound bliss that they have experienced in their life and really fully activate that so that we are conditioned for more. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. You said so many profound things there that I wanted to touch on. And I just, I am so glad that Brene Brown said that about joy because I experienced that when I wrote my book, like I was working with a CTI coach. She was my coach and she kept trying to pull me back and like, well, isn't it amazing? You know, like, look at your book is on the book. And I was like, yeah, 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 it's kind of okay. But I I think I'm going to do this now. Like I was like on to the next thing. And she was like, how dare you? That's what she said. How dare you not celebrate? And it's funny because that's another assignment I give to my clients. Like when was the last time you sat down and even just made a list of all of your accomplishments? Mm -hmm. I I have yet to meet a client who's like, oh, I did that on my birthday. Or I do Mm. that every new year. And I mean, it's something that I have to stop and do. I had my very first coach assign that to me and I was blown away at everything I'd done. I was like, damn. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then the qualification comes in though, right? This is another one of the lies, the imposter complex, that there's something about like, you know, what I have accomplished. It's not relevant to what I'm trying to do. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't count. That's bullshit. Mm -hmm. Your tenacity is currency, man. Like you did it. Yeah. I love that. Your tenacity is currency. That's going to be a tweet this. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. And I, I invite everyone who is listening right now. That's your assignment. That's your takeaway. We want you to write down a list and celebrate. What does celebrating actually look like? May I add to that assignment? Of course. I would really love for them to list of accomplishments and then also go through their emails, searching for keywords that they really light them up, like brilliant or genius or magnificent or whatever the words are to sort of regroup all of the emails, all of the references and the sweet tweets and the testimonials of what other people have said. So it's this two sort of pronged approach. One is like how people reflecting back to you, which is like the you know most basic version of what board of your life is, as well as integrating your own beliefs about what you have achieved. Because this is the thing, like this shows up in the work that I do with my clients as well, because it really is this qualification of like, does that really count? And of course, yes, it does. When we are able to see how we're showing up in the world, A, this is also one of the lies of the imposter complex, by the way. The reason you don't actually allow those beautiful emails that you have received to really be integrated is that you actually can't trust the praise of others because, quote unquote, they're just being nice. This mm-hmm. is what the imposter complex has, <laughs> yeah. you believe, right? But of course, it's not their fault. Like, you've just done such a good job pulling the wool over their eyes, right? right. So the two part of this is that they are actually reflecting back their magnificence. They are looking to you as a reflection of what they love deeply about themselves. So it's actually actually less about you and more about them. And it is still their truth. What they are seeing in you is their truth. So accept that as the gift that that is, you know, and sometimes we get given these gifts and it's like, really an acrylic sweater with like a kitty cat on it. Like you Mm -hmm. think that that's me, but you still understand that there was heart and there was soul and there was thought and love that went into that. So you receive it in that way. And you say, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, such good nuggets. So tell everyone where they can find you. And if you have anything going on right now, the floor is yours. Thank you. So they can find me at tanyageisler.com. When they're there, they should sign up to get my 12 lies at the imposter complex and one truth. And the truth is so good. <laughs> and when they're there, they'll probably see that I'll be talking, loving up my step into your starring role program. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad that I got to introduce you to my people. And I'm sure that they thought you are just as lovely as I think you are, because I absolutely adore you. Thank you so much. It's a total honor to be here. Oh, all right. So until next time, everybody, I will see you later. Bye-bye.